Sweet summer children. Welcome to another episode of the podcast, Peep This Noise. I'm your host, Logan Johnson, and this week, I like Bloodborne. Seated to my right, I'm Greg Marchant, and this week, I like Pokemon Go. And seated to my left, is Nathaniel Johnson, and I like remembering that we do this bit so that I can prepare for it in advance. I knew this was going to happen. I was editing tomorrow's release episode. And you did. Th- we all last week were kind of like, eh, do we do anything? <laughs> Greg was like actually pretty okay, but you and I were like, do we have lives? <laughs> um, which is very... in all seriousness, I like Rick and Morty. Oh yeah, sure. You have you have watched a fair amount of Rick and Morty. Somebody give me access almost, to season four. We were so close. I don't know. People who are astute listeners and, and have been paying attention to our podcast at home might have noticed that that was up until Nathaniel derailed it, like he is wont to do the smoothest one of these we've ever done where like greg and i were just like no we're not interrupting it we're not talking about bloodborne we're not talking about pokemon go (laughs) we're just getting smooth so maybe maybe next time better luck curiosity how much bloodborne have you played this week it started to become like a i'm a member of what i'll call the secret midnight bloodborne society (laughs) which is that like when my insomnia kicks in please order of the moon during the late boy hours i uh get up and i play Hey, do you want nice. to explain to the court your most recent uh, successful Bloodborne run? Yeah, so uh, most recently I started with a new weapon that I'd never played with before, the Saw Cleaver, and I ran all the way up to the fourth to the fourth boss without dying. So it wasn't necessarily clear from the tweets that I put out, but I did the Cleric Beast, Father Gascoin, and Bloodstar Beast all in one shot with the Saw Cleaver. Um, For those who've never played Bloodborne. That's hard. That's hard. That thing I did is hard. <laughs> nice. Especially with a weapon I'd never played before. The Sock Cleaver is fundamentally different from what I usually start with, which is the Threaded Cane. Um, also, the character that I created, I gave her super vibrant blue eyes and a ponytail. And when she is cloaked in blood, she looks like a specter of death who is also a board substitute teacher. It's upsetting. There are no attractive characters in the Bloodborne creator mod, like, section, character creator section. It is all bad. And yet you give me crap for mine. (laughs) Yours is particularly egregious, and you know that. (laughs) Yeah, but it's not, like, like, it's not monstrous. I just, like, went for, like, some older dude in, like, his 50s. True. Uh, John Nielsen, who... uh, Longtime fans of mine, which I'm sure I have plenty of, will know as the co-host from that odious beast gaming. He once created like yeah, like a 70 year old dude in Bloodborne, like barely any wispy hair, like can totally see his rib cage, and he used to run him around just like basically like not wearing very much, like That's so it was like good. this old starving dude <laughs> on the beast hunt. It was great. Anyway, what I love about that game, by the way, is the fact that like yeah, you can get some okay armor in that game, but like. At the end of the day, it really is only going to make so much of a difference. Yeah, the only time that I ever really care about my army, 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 (laughs) my Bloodborne army, maybe in Bloodborne too, but Uh, the only time I care about my armor in Bloodborne is when I am trying to avoid frenzy damage, Mm. and then I'll throw on like the Yarnum Hunter's Cup. Anyway, this is a bunch of really niche stuff that uh, people should care about, but probably don't. Greg, Pokemon Go, that was a smash hit back when we had clowns and elected a clown. Oh, <laughs> Sorry, that's maybe a Wow, little, <laughs> that was good. A little too political, maybe. Uh, my, my coworkers and I are currently all pretty much bonding over Pokemon Go right now. Um, and, uh, and so basically all of us have it up on our phones at all times while we're at work, and it's draining everybody's batteries. But on the bright side, we all can just uh, we all can just like share in everybody's like big successes when they finally catch like a shiny Pokemon or something like that. That's so good. You guys hop on that Charmander community day or not? Mm-hmm. We nice. had a uh, we had one guy had the best luck. He caught f- uh, he caught four shiny Charmander within the space of two or three minutes. Dang, I didn't catch any on community day, which, yeah. I mean, I wasn't, like, there all three hours or whatever. I caught two, but neither of them were good enough to evolve, so they're just going to stay shiny, unevolved Charmander. Well, you know, that happens. Those yeah, I, are, that. I have a special name for those, and that is Pokemon Let's Go Buddies. <laughs> like, we're just going <laughs> to funnel those into the Switch game. That's so good. <laughs> um, 
I'm going to end up uh, tweeting this picture for those who want to see it. But you were talking about clowns earlier, and I uh, I took a photo the other day that I captioned, sad clown eating a waffle. Oh. <laughs> My favorite. This thing. is an audio medium. Yeah, but, that's what um, I was about to say. It, it's a it's a selfie. It's a is selfie, what he's and there's about. is that a, is that really a waffle? It's an ego waffle. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say, is that really a waffle? Um, <laughs> that's sad. I'm eating a sponge with maybe some <laughs> syrup. Um, Lego my ego because I need it to wash my dishes. <laughs> uh, Wow, there's really not going to be a good transition from here, is there? I, like, I don't think so. We're going from this into we're going from guys, this I'm not into ready. pretty morbid, very good sci-fi. Yeah. Do you want to know? Let's go back to Bloodborne, well, and that's that'll what be I was a good say. segue. I was literally thinking before I was like, before the show, I was like, oh, it's so good because we're going to talk about Bloodborne, and the story is called Blood Child, and that's just going to get us right there, right? Um, isn't isn't Rick and Morty also kind of sci-fi? Uh, yeah, in the uh, same sense that like, well, like Star Trek is sci-fi, meaning like it is, but it's super loose. Like it's not like trying to be super grounded. Um, it's just playing around with a lot of ideas. Okay. Ex- Rick and Morty is like, what if Back to the Future, but like dark and existentialist. It literally is a rip off Back. To it the it future, is literally right? a rip it's, on that. Yeah, it's like supposed Rick to be. is supposed to be a Doc Brown and uh, Morty is well, Marty McFly. Morty McFly. <laughs> no, Morty Smith unfortunately. So do we have any creatures in Bloodborne who lay eggs in people? You know, uh actually the monster from Bloodborne this reminds me of is the blood licker. In Forsaken Castle, Kanehurst, outside oh, in the courtyard. Oh, yeah. But that's not really related. So, no. yes, to answer your question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That uh, kind of is. Uh, I avoid Castle, Kanehurst. That's not the that's point. That's the best zone in the entire game. Yeah, so I still made avoid a horrible it. mistake. It's because it, we cannot do this. It's because it's we hard. Cannot, we already did a Bloodborne fan cast, John and I did, called Hear the Old Blood. We Which I need to go listen to now that I've that played that game. That actually doesn't exist, but the Bloodborne spoiler cast does. Oh. Hear the Old Blood. Anyway, we can't do this. <laughs> We, we can talk about Octavia Butler's Blood Child, which uh, I have a little bit of context on, as I want to do. Um, this story, perhaps unsurprisingly, is born out of a couple of, of elements. She wanted to explore the idea of male pregnancy, which I think she Yeah, I, I got that. Um, she is, was terrified when she did some research on South America upon learning about learning about bugs that lay their eggs under the skin. <laughs> as we all are. And... Um, as everyone should be. Yeah, and so with those kind of two pieces as a background, and I want to say there was a third thing, but it escapes me, she began to kind of assemble this story, right? Oh, she wanted to tell a love story. That's the third thing. So that's where, where the, the conversation that... will maybe shift a little bit. Huh. So, yeah. I don't know. I I kind of understood what was going on with yeah, that. I did, too. Yeah, me, too. Like, as soon on. as you say that, that puts, like, a weird context on all of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's like very. Uh, there's a whole lot going on. So to again, we bust everything wide open here. Um, we, what does it say in the text? She opened him, referring to the man. Um, referring to the guy that got referring you know, to Lomas. It's we're gonna start on spoilers here. Referring, uh, it says that in the text, Lomas referring to Lomas getting his torso cut open, and yeah. maggots removed from it. It's such like a anyway. Um, so yeah, this is a story in a science fiction world where the humans or the Terrans, as, as Butler refers to them as for most of the story, are in a kind of parasitic symbiotic relationship with aliens called, uh, Tlicks or Tleeks, So I did read a good chunk of this out loud to my wife, so I did come up with my own pronunciation of it. Oh, cool. This will be fun. Put a little English on the ball. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. What does that phrase mean? It means we're going to put like our own spin on it. So uh, whenever I would come across the uh, word, it's an actual, it's an actual billiards term. Th- thank huh. you, Greg. Huh. Thank you. Cool. Um, so you got to hang around with more pool sharks. <laughs> My second favorite enemy in Bloodborne. <laughs> so whenever, whenever I, uh, whenever I read something alien, especially where there's a lot of consonants, I like to put a lot of glottal stops in there. Oh. So uh, the way that it came out most of the time was something to the effect of "tlick." Hmm. Um, yeah, I hate that. So yeah, <laughs> that's okay. Um, Talik, we'll go with Talik or Talik. Either is good, but I'm not doing the the aggressively. I'm not. 
I just found out there's a new organ in my throat, so I'm gonna like keep that chill for uh, now. That said, when they refer to the males, uh, they they also name them after the Tlik. The Tlik, uh, yeah. The in, yeah, the Untuk, and it. Uh, I hate it. Oh, I hate it. Yeah, but it was so much fun to read, like in the cadence of everything. I will say Octavia Butler is doing like a lot of work with consonants here. Um, so the Untuk are essentially the spawning grounds for future Tlik. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And so this story is the re- it's about the relationship between an intellect and a talik, which ultimately terminates again spoilers with the uh, impregnation is maybe a weird way to put it, but infestation the the laying of the egg inside of the Terran inside of the human. Right. Um. So it, it. Wow. There were a thousand ways you could have said that, and you didn't get any of them good. Yeah. There's no good way to say it. <laughs> it turns out that. You, they put an egg in a person. <laughs> so it's not awesome. Um, not ideal. Unless, and maybe that's what we'll discuss. Unless, and maybe that's what we'll discuss. So uh, I actually want to kind of wheel it back a little bit here. And again, if people haven't read this, you didn't hear this from me, but there's probably a PDF on the internet. I know because I forgot to read this for the class we read it for, and I literally pulled up the PDF while I was sitting yeah, in the class. It may have some like <laughs> uh, weird like quotation marks in places and like exclamation points here and there. Hey, sometimes, you know, the internet, you get what you get, all right? <laughs> yep. Uh, I actually want to cycle back a little bit to, to a discussion about uh, his the main character. His name is Gan. His brother, Kui. Okay. Or Key. I, I think it's just Key. It could be Key, yeah. I think I called it Key, but yeah, it's probably Key. Yeah, it's probably Key. That, that like Q-U really messes with apps in English. Oh, I guess Quiche. I've been calling that a Quiche my whole life. <laughs> That's a lie. Um, can I get a good breakfast Quiche? Um, yeah, so here's, here's uh, I guess, what I want to dial into, right? So in blood child very early on we kind of see an obvious conflict between gan and and key and it's one of the big things that we learn is a problem of this conflict is is this knowledge that key has about essentially how terrans are infested how how the perpetuation of the click happens right um essentially this is that key has seen something that gan hasn't right but even after learning the knowledge right even after seeing it there's a- an active fight between these two characters. Like they hit each other. <laughs> in fact, it's it's basically stated Gan gets like wrecked, like knocked out. <laughs> um, so I I kind of want to talk a little bit about this scene, about how it relates to the broader narrative. How do we reconcile this violence and what does it mean, right? Because it's definitely framed that the knowledge is the issue here at first, but then once it comes out, how do what do we make of this? Can can I steal one from Ben Shapiro here? Yeah, go for it. Facts don't you. care about your feelings. And uh, the reason that that's especially true is that facts and feelings are never separate. Like, information is never devoid of emotional weight. That, that was like the phrase that came to mind when I was pondering your question was, uh, was um, the reason that I, I heard in a recent video essay from the uh from the channel innuendo studios on uh on youtube they're in one of in one of the videos from that channel um they're talking about uh they he you he modifies that phrase and says your friend doesn't care about facts because facts don't care about his feelings and he's it was talking about like it was talking about fascist communities on the internet and how people end up there not because of the ideology but because of the sense of community most of the time yeah it's important to note that 90 percent of the time ben shapiro uses that he's trying to confine people to his idea of what their gender should be and that blows so yeah that sucks but i agree but with that what makes you're it especially here. applicable here like facts and feelings are never separate like mm-hmm. gan is being gan is encountering facts that he doesn't have uh, that he doesn't have a frame of reference for reconciling, and it's messing with his feelings, and he's dealing with some real cognitive and emotional dissonance here, where he, uh, where he cares deeply about Key and has, uh, or not, uh, well, he cares deeply about Key, but he and Key have never gotten along, but he respects Key, but also, what was it, Taquan or something like that was the. Oh, the uh, the alien took a toy. Yeah, took a toy. Took a toy. Yeah, 
took a toy. Uh, Gan also cares about name. the. <laughs> We're sharing. His a... names are so much fun. Gan <laughs> also cares about his about his alien that he's you know been with since yeah. he was an infant. Yeah. And he, um, and he's having trouble reconciling this, uh, reconciling what he saw with the uh with um someone who he likes and who he cares about um and then hearing facts from someone that he cares about but doesn't particularly like his his brother key and i'm i'm not saying that there's any kind of logical sense to it but it's a very human reaction like mm-hmm. this is this is what uh this is what we expect to happen when people's beliefs are challenged by are challenged by facts that they weren't prepared to deal with. Totally. Or maybe not beliefs. Is, beliefs isn't the right word. And people's resolve and worldview is challenged by new information. There is a phrase that I've been using for several years, and I don't know if I came up with it or if I heard it somewhere, but I've been using it a lot of the time to describe what you've uh, been talking about. Um, and that phrase is, feelings are more important than reality. Um, meaning, of course, the way a person feels about things is often more important to what they do and how they act about it than, you know, the facts. Yeah, one of the things that really sticks out to me here with Key, too, is there seems to be this this heel turn, right, where it goes from Key as, like, his brother that he doesn't really get along with to this, this one-line realization that we get that's like, oh, he cares about my well-being because he doesn't want to be a host. For this alien, right? And, like, whether that's, again, kind of lending to what Nathaniel said here, whether that's the reality or not, right? The fact that this could be the thing for this character blows, right? Um, And I think it explains kind of that aggression and that violence a little bit better. Um, I also kind of thought about this in connection with, like, at at the point where Gan hits Key, we're essentially dealing with, the fallout of watching a human being get cut open right um it's it's very visceral when it happens but effectively what we're talking about here and this is weird to frame this this way but it's a medical procedure right he's just seen a person be be cut open right and like that can have some effects on people like that is generally especially since it is so non-sterile it is so raw right in the way that it did it is i mean this person's body is basically unzipped right and that is i i I also wonder if if there's a role that that plays in the violence that occurs next right yeah i think that it's uh worth mentioning also uh that uh uh tigotoy uh does this really weird thing uh does this really weird thing during the surgery where like she pulls out one of the eggshells and then you know licks the blood and stuff out of it uh which is something that like is not like medically okay underneath any circumstances as far as like we are concerned in our concept in our traditional conception of you know what a medical procedure looks like you know you don't you don't have the doctor you know take a baby out for instance and then like kind of nibble on the umbilical cord because that's weird unless you're playing bloodborne unless you're playing bloodborne (laughs) it's not that ghoulish but (laughs) um but and i mean but like that said some women do later consume like their own like the placentas that they made you know like that is a thing that some people do so like it's not totally out of the realm of possibility but it's still kind of off-putting in a lot of ways yeah, one of the things here that is also interesting in connection with that is this idea that she, after cutting him open, she licks the blood to slow the blood flow, mm-hmm. too, uh, implying that there's something in uh, Tukatoy's saliva that um, kind of stanches this. So I wonder, like, the connection of... It's weird, right? Because there's this intimacy in all of it, right? That it maybe is, like, a weird level of intimacy that, like, you're using your tongue a lot for somebody who's performing a medical procedure, right? It's very strange. Uh, what did you make some of this stuff, Greg? We uh, are maybe jumping ahead to one of the questions I wanted to cover earlier, uh, talking about the birth and, and that process itself. But I thought a lot of things about a lot of parts <laughs> of it. Okay, can I – I want to say this is jumping a little even further ahead. I really like this story, and I am going to reread it. Um 
as I as I read this, I mean, being I I'm kind of dehydrated right now and also kind of really tired. So I'm already a little bit weird, but reading this felt like entering like an alternate uh an alternate um state of conscious an altered state of consciousness or something like that. Totally. Um, <laughs> totally. Which yeah. is really cool given that, you know, they consume these eggs, which basically does that in the beginning of the book. Yeah. So That's I'm really I'm cool. gonna I'm gonna reread this to try and parse out a lot of stuff that I obviously missed, but I thought a lot of stuff about it. Um I I thought um I thought at first that this was uh that this was for sure a um re- a reflective uh or a reflexive sorry look at um look at uh childbirth and its um and its role in society and the way that uh, society and the legal system and various things try to um, control uh, women's reproduction mm-hmm. and stuff like that, I thought it was a reflexive look in that it was looking at it from the from the male standpoint. And I kind of still think some of it's uh, some of that is the case. When, when but then just... there were also some things that didn't quite fit with that. Anyway, go. What were you gonna say? I was just gonna say sorry to interrupt. When we discussed this in my literature class that is almost exclusively what we talked about so you're not like like let me tell you there's a lot of work to do in that section of this story for sure the so one of the one of the one of the great things about fantasy and sci-fi is it lets you explore um explore real world things from angles that are impossible in the real world and because people are already suspending their disbelief in order to enjoy the story it lets people look at themselves in ways that they normally wouldn't in the real world one of the downsides to it is that it's nearly impossible to like keep it consistent and also tell a uh, also tell an entertaining story so for example for um uh for uh gan's sister shua how Shua Hau? I think so. Hoa. Or, I, I don't know the character. Like, H-O-A. H-O-A. Well, what's the, what, how's the first part of her name spelled? Oh, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't take that down. Because the, the second part, I think, would be pronounced Hua. Hua, yeah, okay. I, but I don't know. We'll, we'll call um, Hua then, because yeah. I didn't remember. Gan, Gan's sister, Hua, like, she's, uh, she's legitimately eager with no misgivings to, uh, to carry alien offspring and that that also messes with like the the male pregnancy um reflective reflexive look on our society because it uh just cuz it kind of messes with the messes with the real world division cuz in in the real world only people with uh only people with uh um ovaries and a uterus and egg cells can bear children and men can't but and then in this case both groups can and there's a whole bunch of complicated stuff there sure it's not a perfect mirror yeah all all that all that to say it was a really interesting reflective look from like a to see it from like a male perspective um in a situation where a um, where a guy would, uh, where a guy in this case, Gan is, um, is feeling societal pressure and also the, also dealing with the issue of like the good of society as a whole versus, you know, his personal preferences that have his personal preferences and sense of well-being in his own body. Um, it it was still a really interesting look um at that phenomenon that uh that made me think about um that went, made me think about like women's reproductive rights from a new standpoint i guess totally um but then also i th- i thought a lot about the uh i thought a lot about the whole thing with uh the whole thing with um this being a relationship that's good for both of their societies 
Okay, so with it being a relationship that is good for both of their societies, they um, he's feeling this extra pressure. Uh, Gan is feeling this extra pressure um, societally because his group of Terrans are outcast from their homeworld, and they're at the mercy of the Talik. And the Talik don't have any other source of breeding grounds of a breeding stock i can't remember how it refers to it in the story then the humans stuff survives inside the humans but most of it dies inside other other animals and things like that and that's uh that's a really weird relationship because they're both relying on each other um but the tleek are in this dominant position where I mean, uh, the the alien um, that Gan is involved with gets really overwhelmed at the uh, overwhelmed and overbearing at the end, in kind of an intense way. Yeah, I also think there's an interesting dichotomy between these sets of relationships that you've described. Um, speaking of the relationship between the Talik and the specifically Tugatoy and the rest of the Talik. In there, there's definitely a political interest there, where Tukatoy is doing work to keep the pre- the preservation of these humans going, right? Which is wild. <laughs> you know, I uh, I had a really kind of wild read that I don't think was necessarily the author's intent, um, based on the things we talked about with the context. But uh, what I uh took out of it is it reminded me a lot of kind of the history of our country uh post civil war uh with a lot of relationships with uh african americans post slavery um logan's giving me a look no keep going um i'm i'm scared Marty, it's fine i'm scared um just keep going and what it what it reminded me of um is humans in this society are definitely like animals they're they're not equal to the talik right like they're not treated that way even though they are intelligent creatures right um but they're used for the benefit of the talik um the point being i'm reminded a lot of how you know essentially like white people in this country have used black labor um both during the during uh, the slave era and after uh to support themselves and black people don't really have a ton of choice except for to be part of the system um, when the system is clearly and actively, like, harming them and hurtful and could be much better. Um, but what choice do they have but to be part of it? Especially when you take a wider context of, like, their families and stuff, you know. And this is becoming, I hope, less true now than it was. But, you know, there's been kind of a progress and an evolution. And you get some people who are trying to do the right thing, um, I think, like... Uh, I just blanked on the one main alien's name. Um, Tigatoy. Tigatoy, thank you. Um, where, like, she's trying to make it so that, you know, they're not just treated as animals, but is also, you know, supporting this system, which does make them inherently breeding grounds. And I think of, you know, people post-Civil War who, like, do things like make sharecropping rules and things like that, where it's like, hey, like, this is definitely, like, better than slavery, but... Come on, we can do better than this, right? I, okay, so I I agree with your take. Like I think that's a I think that's a good comparison that's relevant, but I'm going to push back on the historical frame, the time frame. Okay. This this isn't post Civil War. This is post independence. This is Thomas Jefferson or George Washington. Slave owners who are opposed to who are opposed <laughs> to the institution but still profit off of it. Sure. Yeah, okay. Especially Thomas Jefferson. Especially Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson yeah. has a really interesting piece where he essentially remarks, man, this slavery thing sure seems bad for us white folks too, huh? And then like actively doesn't do anything <laughs> about it, which is like very funny to me um, because in order to get the power that, and influence that he had, he needed to be a slave owner. Right. Right. And again, I don't make think... it okay, by the way. No, it no, it's jacked doesn't. up. <laughs> um, I don't think that this is the read that the author intended somebody to get out of it. I don't think. Yeah, so uh, I can speak to that a little bit, actually. Oh, good. So the print copy of Blood Chad that I have is in a collection of short stories by Octavia Butler, and she includes a preface to the whole set and an afterword after each story, right? 
Uh, Octavia Butler is African-American. Um, and she opens her afterword for Bloodchild by saying, a lot of people have read this as an allegory for slavery. I didn't write that. <laughs> and then she goes on to talk about what she was writing to and what she was speaking to, which was the bit of context that I gave earlier. But it was interesting because I didn't read it that way. But it seems like you're in, and I would probably argue, probably pretty good analytical company on this. Well, that's interesting. It seems like a lot of critics have brought yeah, this up. The fact that like she felt compelled to include that in her afterward about it yeah, it's say, been like, said enough this has been said not once like yeah. and i'm not the first person and I'm, I'm sure i'm not articulating it nearly as well as some of those other people have um but that's really fascinating that that mm -hmm. is a read that multiple people took uh from this um, yeah and i should mention in her afterward she's very respectful of that read like she didn't say like you're 100 percent wrong but she was just like that's just not what i that's not what she wrote right it's right. not what she intended yeah which is really cool i mean you know, we know when a text is separate from, like, as soon as a text is published, it's its own thing. Mm -hmm. And it does its own work independent of what the author did or wants, right? Um, and so, yeah, it's really cool that you landed there because I didn't. And I was like, I, how did somebody, like, when I read it, I was like, okay, I guess I see that. But it's not what I, I first thought. Right. Well, this brings me to, like, the very end of the story where he's like, no, we need to do this whole process differently. <laughs> And he suggests that to her. And nothing changes. But he's like, but maybe she'll start thinking about it. And, like, she'll outlive me by a lot. Maybe, like, something will change down the line. I apologize for my coughing fit. You're I good. breathed in something that was floating. I don't know what it was. Hey, the number of times that I've literally choked on my own spit. By the way, again, blaming the new organ I learned about in the back of my throat. Um, did y'all? <coughs> sorry, did y'all see this? Scientists discovered a new organ in the back of our throat. It's just been chilling there this whole time. Uh, they're like two saliva glands. It's nuts. They're like an inch and a half long each. They're just back there and have been this whole time. We had no idea. It's like a few years ago when they decided that the aligning between the intestines is its own organ. Yeah, except for it's not like that because we found this. Right. We assumed that back there it was just microscopic glands. Right. But no. Conversely, this one, they were like, hey, if this thing is its own organ, that means things can go wrong with it, which might like explain like a lot of medical diagnoses that we haven't been able to figure out. Yeah. Anyway. It's very cool. Medicine is crazy. It's very cool. We split but, people open to get larva out. <laughs> yeah, I want to talk a little <laughs> bit and, and maybe speak to that process a little bit. Um, you talked about the end of the novel. Um, I want to talk a little bit about like what do we th what do we make of this whole thing? This whole we lay an egg in a human, right? Uh, something, by the way, which thankfully Octavia Butler is not very specific on how that process happens. Um, I mean, I, I thought she it was, was super specific. She, she was super specific. There That's at what the end happens at happens. the end of the book. No, totally, but it's very vague. It's like Tikatoy is on top of him, and there's he's like the egg went into me. He strips down. She gets on top of him, wraps him in her arms, stings him, and through the stinger, it gets injected into his flesh. Is that what happens? Yeah, it's stinger? like crazy specific. I missed that part. Well, uh, through through an ovipositor adjacent to the yeah, stinger. They use the word ovipositor. Yeah. Man, how did I miss that? I don't know. That's nuts. I've read this twice. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great speaking to what Greg said. You'll miss. This is some heavy, like, heavy stuff. It's You'll miss stuff. a 30-minute read max. Yeah, but it's it's intense. Yes, it is. Um, so, yeah, what do, and, then, and then we know that it's a cut open, because one of the things that is so important here is that the stinger provides no pain. It's for the people in the family of the Talik, it's, it's actually a, an anesthetic of kinds, mm -hmm. right? And so it's like, we know that part of the difficulty that we have is like the birth that we see of uh, the guy's name escapes me already. Um, the guy Lomas, kind of, what Lomas? Yeah, yeah, Lomas. Bram Lomas. Bram Lomas, which is a great name. <laughs> Just like that's like some find that dude, catch that dude in Stormwind. By the way, if we ever to get... bring four Murloc heads to Bram Lomas and Goldshire, <laughs> if we ever get together and make a new D and D group that I'm running, and I introduce some drown named Bram Lomas, you know stuff's going down. <laughs> like you just know. Yeah. So, so it's important to know that the 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 birth we see there from Bram Lomas is it's one that gone, has gone horribly wrong. Yeah. Right. He essentially like enters labor in a field somewhere, and mm -hmm. Tugatoy has to do the work of cutting him open, but she can't. She can't provide any any anesthesia right because she th that connection isn't there mm -hmm. 
Uh, it, it mentions that specifically her venom would kill the other's eggs. Would kill the other uh, Talik's eggs. Right. Or offspring. Yeah. If it was in if it was in the flesh which they were consuming because they were starting to consume this guy. Yeah. If if it was with if it was in him, it would kill the larva. They also mentioned that once a larva is like up, like once it's active, it will consume anything but its own mother. Yeah. Which is again wild. Well, and then uh, Key describes that story where he saw a pregnancy go even worse. Pregnancy can't be the right word, but essentially that. Uh, where there was no other flesh that they could transport the larva to, and so they just, like, the human died. Well, they killed the human. Right, and this is this is Gan's point, that when you talk about him recommending systemic reform, what he says, like, we need to see this. Like, kids, kids need to see this. Which is, like, it's so funny because this pitch is so, at first, horrifying that you wonder, like... Where is this story going to take this? And you don't expect it to be the main character being like, we absolutely need to desensitize ourselves to this, right? That's just like the last thing you expect this story to do. And yet it's, the more you think about it, at least the more I thought about it, this is the conclusion, right? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, well, think of, think about like your, your guys' education. How, uh, as you were growing up, how often did you see a... Did you see someone give birth either and record either like like visually see how it actually all looks and happens like either in in person or through media? Zero. Zero times. No, you watched one in Medical Anatomy. No, not no, not yeah, a birth. You, you did B3 Medical Anatomy. You told me right after it happened. You were shut. I, I do remember I do remember you mentioning this actually. Yeah. No. Third period medical anatomy. You watched a live birth on on record on record. I've it watched plenty of surgeries because you've seen one now. Even if you did, I, I thought no. you. I thought you told me about one that you saw in like a college class. Um, yeah, no. medical anatomy was a, a um, concurrent enrollment. It was. He was in a college class in high school. Yeah. This happened. This is crazy that you don't remember this, and both of us do. Yeah, no, no birth. I Obviously, talk, I didn't I know you to, when it happened, but like you, you told me. about I can this. speak to like half a dozen surgeries I watched in that class. Birth was not one of them. You've blocked it. It is the only one you told me about was a live birth. You've blocked it. This is not the time to hash this. I I have literally watched people pull worms out of somebody's intestines. So, like, I have actual memories of seeing essentially what this book describes. That's a birth in this. Um, So that's what we're calling a birth. Yeah, I've seen a birth. Um, Okay, we don't have time to do this. Meditate. It'll come out. Anyway, we're going Lo- to some Logan, deep like, psychotherapy. I was going to say, I think I'm the only person in this who hasn't seen or experienced or been a part of a birth of some kind. I, I'm, I'm just going to say, for me, it was once. I saw, I saw, like, I was shown a video in my, in one of my, like, high school health classes where, where they, where, like, it showed a woman giving birth. Just, like they they interviewed her and her husband and walked through like like gave us snippets of what was going on at each uh at each trimester and then the birth and the camera was just full on up in there uh with her in the stirrups and you see the baby's head like coming out and everything's all stretched and what's up gamers welcome to my labor video <laughs> so it it's... today we're doing an any percentage all strats delivery run <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh no that's not the take on male pregnancy that we needed this that's the a... story we read was the take we needed <laughs> excellent point Excellent point. Man, now I, I am thinking about if men were pregnant, how many speedrun YouTube pregnancies we would have, and it's ghoulish. The implications are bad. Could, I mean, there are a lot of simulator games out there. Do you think there's a gestation simulator? Maybe. There's got to be a delivery simulator, though. There's a... <laughs> While we're on the subject of male pregnancy, uh, I want to talk about healthcare real quick, uh, because women's healthcare is historically mm, not as great as men's. Um... You're implying that men's is great, but... No, that's fair. Um, (laughs) I was like, I don't even know if I can go to the doctor if I need to this week. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. Um, But, like, women usually have a harder time, uh, especially when it comes to anything involving the reproductive systems, right? Um, Women's health is just behind in a lot of ways. Um, And one of the things that I think is interesting here is... uh, 
you read something like this and it's very easy to go oh we should like definitely have better health care for women right because like we can imagine kind of this horrifying parasitic experience um whereas that doesn't seem to be the concern of the talik like they're not looking at the humans that they're using and go you know who we should be treating really well the people who have to suffer to do this i'm gonna push back on that actually a little bit because in the section after the birth when he's talking with Tugatoy about the birth he's like he essentially is like okay well like what if like he has to go like He's been through this. What if he has to do it again? And she's like, nobody would ask this dude to do this again. Like, he did the thing, right? Like, and it's even mentioned that, like, I will not even attempt a pronunciation of the other Tleek's name. <laughs> it um, was worse, yeah. But it gets replaced. Uh, so for Tugatoy, there's a T and then an apostrophe. Mm-hmm. If she had given birth, it would be Chugatoy, right? C-H, right? And that's what happens to the other Tleek's name after she has had... So, like, this is, like... For both parties, this becomes like a thing of like very obvious honor, right? Um, so I'll push back a little bit on that idea sure. that like this is not something that is regarded if, well because I think it it is. Can can I jump back to the point that I was making though? Like none none of us in our like education or in our upbringing like saw what was going on, and then the first time that I like the the first time that I ever like really saw. Like the first time that I ever saw a actual birth happening, it was m- my wife and child involved, and it was a situation where things had gone wrong, and it was an emergency C-section, <laughs> which is essentially what's going on here. Although, like, she she got anesthesia. Elena got anesthesia, which is better than, which is better than Lomas got. <laughs> well, to be fair, but we should mention that at the time, um. The doctor did put a little incision in her and then lick that wound so that, you know, that's how, that's how the... <laughs> well, that's just, that's just good medical practice. <laughs> but that that legitimately messed me up. Like, the the doctor didn't... Uh, the doctor, like, didn't let me, like, see what was going on while, while they were cutting her open. Oh, lucky you. But then they were like, oh, here, look at your child. And they held him up to me and had me stand up where I could see Eli being held up above this gaping wound and that was welling up with like a fountain of blood I take that back by the way out of out of uh out of Elena like it's I I can kind of I can kind of relate to how Gan felt in in that moment where he was seeing this happen under less than ideal circumstances and I can definitely relate to the idea that if this is gonna if this is going to be a in in our case sci-fi regardless if this is going to be a part of our society which it probably needs to be you know since we want to continue as a species um people should probably know what's going on and be well educated about all of the uh all of the good health practices and situations to be prepared for and how to how to be well prepared yeah, um, having been in a nearly identical situation uh, with my first child and my wife, um, it's worth mentioning for the listeners, uh, Greg and my's wives are twins, uh, so it's not too surprising that this happened, that they both ended up having emergency C-sections with their children. Um, but uh, yeah, I had a nearly identical situation. Yeah, that messes a person up. And then, think, and then think about realizing that that's going to be you. Yep. Nope, I totally see your point. <laughs> um interestingly though uh the way that i ended up coming to terms with everything that had happened uh with our first child and seeing my wife uh open on an operating table uh with our second child we had a planned c-section so we knew going in in advance that this is what was going to happen and uh there were times that i said you know what i'm just gonna like actually see what's going on um, and so because there was a little bit more control involved and I knew what to expect and I knew what I was looking at, I was able to face it, essentially, face this, like, fear and, you know, knew what to expect. Well, one of the reasons um, I've I've heard it said, at least, that one of the reasons that um, millennials have... Uh, have so many mental health issues has to do with the uncertainty we've faced about 
our future and our circumstances and our feeling of a lack of control over the the situations of our lives and being prepared and knowing what's going to happen is the key thing that you know we we didn't have we were surprised like millennials we all got surprised at every turn in our major like life moments that they all came with surprises and usually the usually those surprises uh were uh were less than what we had hoped they would be <laughs> and see, um, my childhood kicked off with 9-11 right like yeah so we um i i think all millennials at least can probably relate to the idea that being being becoming comfortable with uncertainty is great but it's a lot less uh it's a lot less strain and a lot less um emotional scarring and stress to just be prepared and know what's going to happen and i i think gan i think that's the thing that gan is hitting on <laughs> yeah this is actually the main thrust i think you could argue of the the tale right uh, and one of the things that I think that Butler does here that's really effective in, in setting this up is there is no moment in this, even when things get weird, there is no moment in this where Gan is afraid of Tigatoy. Yeah, right? that's that's the fascinating Who thing. has like, it's, it's I can best conceptualize Tigatoy as a praying mantis, right? Okay, sure. Mentioned as having multiple limbs, a stinger, and a velvety surface. Mm-hmm. I picture Dwayne the Rock Johnson uh, as, the in, as the Scorpion King, King in, uh, in, uh, <laughs> in the, the Mummy Returns. Returns. Yeah. That's well, exactly what I kept picturing. I'm like, no, this is not what's going on. And she she was what like three uh, meters long or something yeah. like that. Or no the no the one who the one who came uh, over the sickly one who was with uh, Brennan Lomas was um uh, was three meters long and she was remarked to be smaller yeah. than Tigatoy. Yeah, and yeah, so that's. 10 feet is 3 meters. Jeez. And that's a small Also, I got the feel. How many legs did you think that these creatures had? Uh, So, four per body segment. That's what I caught, too. Like, Doesn't well, say how many body segments no, she has. No, four per side per body segment is what it said. Oh, okay. I thought it was so just four per body. So, per body segment. That's unpleasant. <laughs> Which and then implies it, that there's more than one. <laughs> it implies that when they snuggle up to, to Gatoy, um, she puts a cage of her legs around them uh-huh. yeah, to kind fact, of hold them close they and use that, They up. use that description a lot. This is actually what's really interesting because it's it's everybody in Gan's family except for Gan feels like it's a cage. Right? Gan is like, this is dope. <laughs> well, uh, Gan, when, Gan, when he talks about uh, Hua potentially uh, taking his place as uh, Tukatoi's Ntleek, there's a lot of words for you. Yep. <laughs> um, when he when he thinks about Hua doing that, he also conceptualizes uh, he also conceptualizes Tugatoy's legs as a cage. Yeah, yeah, he does. So I think that's like the most distant that he gets from Tugatoy in this, because when it talks about the way that his mother conceptualizes Tugatoy's legs as a cage and has referred to them as a cage before, Gan does not get it right. But I think it's after he gets this knowledge of like how gruesome this thing can go that he's low key like maybe this is something of a cage. You know, there's this interesting bit where uh, he's fighting with Key uh, verbally at this point, and uh, Key says, "Don't look at me like her," and he goes, "I'm making her facial expressions now," uh, which like is one of those things that like reminds us like this is an alien species, right? These facial expressions shouldn't necessarily be compatible. Right, like, what if like somebody looked at you like a praying mantis does, or grinned at you wolfishly? Yeah, but like, you know what I mean, right? Like, no, the, but that's my point, right? Yeah, it can be done, it, but it's always off-putting. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know where I landed on on this whole thing, this whole process. As reading it, I was stupefied. <laughs> like, I was like, <laughs> I hate this very badly. And now, with a little distance, I'm like, this is actually kind of dope. Like, this is like, like they, they, they talk about it. I think we're so conditioned to think, to, to fear the other, right? In hmm. science fiction especially, but also in, like, critical race studies um, and colonial. Well, we're not taught in critical race studies, but 
our, our, our natural racist tendencies, our, our natural imperialist tendencies teach us to fear the other, to view them as inherently violent, right? And that was definitely the mistake that I made coming into this, right? Of essentially saying, like, all right, where's the turn? We got this little freaking Zerg coming. Like, they call them Terrans. I played StarCraft, yo. Like, I know what's up. Like, I know anything that's not a Terran in StarCraft and isn't a Protoss that is being chill is bad. Yeah, and Protoss <laughs> are humanoid, it's worth mentioning, and Zerg are not. Eh, some are. Well, you know what I mean. Queen of Blades, am I right? <laughs> where, okay, my Star- where my StarCraft fans at? But anyway, um, this idea... So immediately, I'm on edge. I'm not loving this. But I get to the end of this, and I'm like, okay, we we need some racial justice stuff for the Terrans, just in general. But like they, they talk about it being like an honor to be, like, to be the bearer of a blood child, which is never a word Butler uses in the text, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but to be the bearer of a blood child... Is a, is a great honor in this society. And I'm like, I see it now. You know, with a little distance from the text, I'm like, I get that. Like, I get how this is like, you're doing a, an important, difficult, and physically exhausting thing, right? And, and probably still painful, even with the anesthesia thing, to ensure the survival of, of one race directly and a second race indirectly, right? This is like a hugely important work that's being done here. So, like, I came away positive on it, which is not where I expected to when I was reading it. It That's another interesting mirror to hold up to our society, because mothers are generally not thought of as, like, they're generally not thought of with honor. Like, the, the idea of being a mother is something that you, uh is something that you settle for in our society. Although, admittedly, that's a more recent development. Yes, but it's... She was writing this recently, so well, I think eighty-five. If I'm yeah, ninety-five, ninety-five, ninety-five. Yeah, she was she was writing this recently, so I think it's probably fair. It's post, uh, it's post nineteen eighty, so I feel like sure this is solidly in that zone of auto zone. <laughs> I was gonna say I was auto gonna zone. say solidly in Roll the out. zone of like uh, solidly in the zone of like near the end of like. Uh, near the end of the prominence of first wave feminism. Totally. And the beginning of the second wave where people were starting to try and push back against some of, or not push back against, but uh, feminists were starting to try and uh, add some, uh, add some nuance to some of their, uh, to some of their takes on, uh, on women in society and stuff like that. I was trying to help. And it felt like part of that, uh, this story did. I was trying to help figure out the history of this, and in my brain the whole time I kept going, okay, let's see, mid-90s, that's the eugenics war, right? And like I, that kept going in my head, I'm like, what is the eugenics war? It's Star Trek, by the way, for those who are wondering. That's like mid-90s history <laughs> of Star Trek. That's like where Khan comes out of is the 90s eugenics war. So for some reason, that's so rattling you, around in my brain as part of actual history. Up. I mean, like you link the two? Yeah, like for some reason, that's like part of my head. Like, 95, that was the eugenics war. Actually, like 39 to 45 was the eugenics war. Yeah, I know. We're, we're, <laughs> point. That, that's like, it's kind of weird because that's like assuming that we now in real life are living in the year 2257 and the 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 year is 2257 and the name of the place is babylon 5 or something like that fair enough yeah no that's uh that's funny i uh yeah anybody else have any final thoughts on this how do we feel about the text as a whole where we i really loved this like honestly this is this is my type of this is my type of sci-fi that I really man. I'm so glad you that like I really this. enjoy. There's there's enough like there's enough like there there's Lovecraftian existentialism going on here without it trying to be existential horror and mm. without it being like blatantly racist the way that Lovecraft yeah. is. It it somehow hits all of those notes without being horror. Mm-hmm. When you at least when you have some distance from it, right? It's creepy at first but when well, and there are distance, horrific elements yeah but it's not horror and it's not racist it's a good halloween yeah. pick, by the way bro <laughs> pretty good Im- halloween pretty pick. impressive it's like this is a really well-crafted story right i mean again butler is she's a person of color right like i'm not saying racism doesn't exist in some of those texts but it certainly manifests differently the rare times that it does and like it's cool that like this happens like it's mm-hmm. cool. It, it's better than Lovecraft. I'm with you on that. <laughs> I also I also want to say I liked the I liked the style. I liked how I had to pick up from context the um 
I, I had to pick up uh, genders and relationships from context clues rather than some kind of info dump intro that, yeah. like, some kind of panoramic shot of the panoramic shot of the family room where we where we like have the scene described for us we just get to hear what's going on and infer infer what's going on totally. until it's clarified later i liked that this well, does all of the important work of a short story right it makes your mind do the work and fill in the gaps that aren't necessary and i love that about this um again forgot the main alien's name Tigatoy. Tigatoy, thank you Tigatoy. uh the first like three times that name was introduced here was like my in the French. Here's here's was my like relationship with that name. I went okay, is this like a person who brought them food, like human? Then no wait, this is gotta be like some sort of animal that like, like a pig or something that they like took its food and now they're snuggling it. Oh no wait, this is an alien like master. Yeah, they're the animals. Yeah. Oh okay. <laughs> Yeah, there's also we didn't have a time to discuss this, but the food that is brought is is sterile larva. Yeah, right. It's sterile mm-hmm. eggs, and that is a whole other layer to this. I I, I initially pictured Tigatoy as like some large alien tiger or something like that. Mm, sure, T- tiger toy. <laughs> yeah, it it was part of the like that. That was why like the, the they're huge though, so I wouldn't say it's a palm top Tigatoy. <laughs> <laughs> What I love is that I can say palm, that. Palm top ticketoys are what came out of Lomas. Gross. <laughs> Not to be confused with palm top tiger toys, which is just something you get at McDonald's after Toradora's big advent, which I'm hoping will be in like six months or so. You can buy those plushies online. Or body Ooh. pillows. <laughs> so, you know, no, anime. I, I don't think you can get a body pillow of the uh, of the tiny tiger animation, oh, no, but you can get a plushie of the tiny. I hope you can't get a. I hope you can't get a plushie of Taiga. I bet you can. You probably could, but I hope you can. You can cafe press a lot of things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, So we got Greg's thoughts. Greg liked it. Nathaniel? Well, because Logan picked this, you guys know that I am contractually obligated to to dislike it, it, even though I thought it was worth reading. Actually, though, I really loved this. See, I had a thought that you might... But my other thing was, like, also, this is an uncomfy read. Well, it is, uh, but I went into it expecting discomfort, first of all. I did tell you it was going to be uncomfortable. Oh, expecting discomfort, and then you liked it, and it was okay. Guys, that's it. We did the podcast. (laughs) We're done. We're done. (laughs) Um, Wow. Wow, Greg. Way to snag Thank you, Gan. Thank you, Gan. Wow. Good job. Um, Wow. Um, yeah, no, I was going to say, so, um, I think that did help though, expecting the yeah. discomfort. Uh, but then also much like Greg said, this is the kind of sci-fi that I'm totally here for, right? I'm so sick of people trying to do like some sort of knockoff of either Star Wars or Star Trek. Sure. Um, which by the way, I put one of my favorites, uh, the whole like mm-hmm. Ender's Game series in that realm of kind of like a knockoff of this. Where it's Yeah, like, not a fan of that, that series. Also totally acceptable by the way. Um, but, uh, like, there's so many that are like that, where it's like, hey, like, you know, here's just, you know, big galactic space civilization kind of thing. Yeah. And I like those a lot. Also, there's a million of them. And totally. so it was cool to see this one where, like, as far as we know, there are two civilizations on two planets. And one of them uses humans as breeding stock. And I was like, this is cool. I mean, Chikatoy specifically says it's not that way. Yeah, I know, but, it is that but way, it's right? totally <laughs> that way, right? But it's not necessarily a, like, bad thing, right? Like, and that was the cool thing. I was like, oh, there's, like, nuance here. Like, this this species, Tikatoy species, the Talik, cannot survive without the humans. The humans are a godsend for them. This is a miracle for them. They, they were dying off before yeah. they found the humans. This is a miracle. And enough humans have bought into it that it kind of works. Yeah. But it could be better, and... The answer is not kill the Tlick, which was fascinating. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. It's it's awesome to to run into something that is not immediately like xenophobic. Uh-huh. Right? Like which is the the narrative of many a sci-fi novel, right? Uh, this is also we're not going to be able to do uh to do Dune this December like we wanted to because that movie's been delayed, but this is also a thing in Dune, right? Not inherently xenophobic is how I like my sci-fi. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So, cool. I'm glad you liked it. Uh, Loved it. I also really like this story. I think it's it's well worth reading. I'm 
I'll tell you what, we're for, for this class, we're, we're working through this text and then Margaret Atwood, uh, if you know who she is, she did Handmaid's Tale. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. Working through Margaret Atwood's novel Orcs and Crake, which is a speculative fiction piece about like what happens if we let genetic engineering go just a little farther than it already has and, and such, right? Um, and, and she speculates on the worst possible way that could spiral. And I'll tell you, I like Bloodchild a little better primarily because it's much shorter but also because like it does the it does very important work very quickly and i appreciate like that kind of direct communication in a short story all of my favorite short stories do that we did yellow wallpaper which i think has been put up in the feed by now and uh also it was it was this way right Mm -hmm. very direct lets you fill in a lot of the gaps very cool a lot of places to guess about and talk about um so yeah that is bloodchild Thanks for reading it. I think both of you knocked it out like probably within the hour window before we <laughs> recorded this, which is I, I read it during a slow patch at work. So same, yeah. I read it like four hours ago again for the second time <laughs> to get the questions out, and so we could have a good discussion about this. But uh, yeah, so hopefully you guys had a chance to read it at home. We appreciate that. Uh, yeah, so this has been another episode of the podcast Peep Fist Noise. I want to give a special shout out to uh, not a special shout out, regular shout out that I do every single time we record one of these to Katie Davidson and the band Key Losers who are responsible for our uh, our theme song, Don't Know Why from the album California Light. Next time, Nathaniel is going to make me watch something I don't want to watch again and that thing is Interstellar. Um, um, small correction to that. Oh yeah, because you want to do something about, different. Yeah, we talked about making this kind of a weird two-parter. You're gonna make me watch me make me watch two sci-fi things I really don't want to watch. What but, was the other one though? 2001: A Space Odyssey. Is that one first? We're first. Gonna, okay. Yeah, because 2001: A Space Odyssey. Because Interstellar shamelessly rips like 90 percent of its elements from that film, mm-hmm. and I want to talk. <laughs> which is about like that. no joke. Nolan loves that film. He did like a remaster of that film. Which did we catch that remaster? We did. That's the only time I've seen yeah, that. That film. was that remaster was a fun watch. Actually, we, he remastered it for the 50th anniversary, and it went back in theaters. And Logan and I went and saw it in theaters. Buckle up, folks. That movie, if you have what, not seen it, is... What was the remaster? Was It uh, It was a frames remaster, right? Uh, it was a high frame rate remaster. That's yeah. what it was. Was it for IMAX specifically? Yeah, 48 high frame rate yeah. IMAX remaster. That was really good. It, it was really good. And uh, if, if you've never seen 2001, but you kind of like, you know, like, nerdy TV shows and stuff, there are a lot of pop culture references that people make to 2001 that you will just all of a sudden get. <laughs> yeah. There's... It is... Oh, 2001, and this is the sharpest criticism I can level of it. It's a film I actually like like a fair bit. I just don't really want to watch it again because it's long. But <laughs> 2001: A Space Odyssey is funny because it's like definitely like the I'm 22 years old. I'm white. I'm a white male, and I'm going to film school. That's this is my favorite movie, right? <laughs> like, it's like very funny in that way. It's a it's a Kubrick film and lands kind of in that realm of like having a devotee uh, aura around it, right? Which is really good. Um, that said, it does still hold up 50 years later on a first-time watch. Yeah, that'll be an interesting... I don't know how we're going to handle that episode with those both of those in there, but... Oh, I want to do two episodes, if that's okay, to break it up, because it's a lot to yeah, cover. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how we're, how we're feeling it when we're recording the first episode, because if we're like, we, don't, we actually don't have anything to say about the monkeys hitting each other, like, <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe we'll move on quick, right? Maybe. Um. But yeah, so so let's do that. 2001 A Space Odyssey and Interstellar for our next one, maybe two episodes. So just get those under your belt um, if you would like to be chimed into the discussion on that. Um, you can reach out to us, uh, peep this noise at, or at PeepThisNoise on Twitter. Mail at PeepThisNoise.com are both great places to get a, a hold of us. Um, you can reach out if there's something you liked and something we covered that you, you didn't necessarily think we touched on or, or you had some thoughts about what we said or, or something stuck out to you. We'd literally love to hear anybody's thoughts about, about where we're at. Like, uh, we realize we our listener count is probably not astronomical right now, but if you have thoughts, send them over. Um, Nathaniel, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, Torts and Gavels, uh, uh, on Twitter. Well, how are you correctly? <laughs> at Torts. I, I was thinking about gavels. this today and- this is like a, a poor man's copyright on a joke, right? What does an at sign do in social media? It tags somebody so they get a notification, right? What shape is an at sign? Guys, we've created a digital summoning circle. 
<laughs> it's the digital summoning circle by which you can summon somebody into a chat. And I came up with this today, and I'm copywriting it here, TM, 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 because it's the funniest thing I've ever come up with. The at sign is a wow. chat summoning circle. It's very good. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, at Torts and Gavels if you want to summon Nathaniel into your mentions. <laughs> um, uh, Greg, where can people find you on the internet? If not on Twitter, then anywhere on the internet. I mean, I don't have a, I don't have a whole lot of a, a whole lot of a presence on the internet. I have my Facebook private because honestly, I don't get on there. That and, makes sense. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I. Uh, so, um, you can find him at mail at peepthisnoise.com. Yeah, find That's me at mail at peepthisnoise.com. If you, uh, if you look for at Greg underscore Marchant on Twitter, I think that's my, uh, I think that's You'll my Twitter, so be there. <laughs> I'll, I'll technically be there, and I'll probably log on at some point when I remember my password. <laughs> cool. You can find me on Twitter at Logan has a take. Um, man, it took me forever to land on that Twitter handle. I used to be like logan matthew 401 or something and it was not a good luck um but yeah thanks again for listening to peep this noise and uh remember everybody likes bad things so open up your mind let the wind inside you think about the